Good morning and welcome to the Castle Hill Church worship program today. From wherever you choose to tune in, we want you to know that you are still a special part of our church family. But we miss not looking out and seeing your smiling faces. Even under these circumstances, when we cannot come together as a church family, it is amazing how we all adapt and make the most of the situation, how we can remain positive. I have reconnected with a number of old acquaintances over this past week, which has been great. We've also spent time as a family, playing games and undertaking a number of Taskmaster-style challenges that Damien set for us over Easter. Lots of fun spent together as a family and great memories to look back on. Some people in our congregation are suffering as a result of this pandemic. As a church family, we want you to support them in any way you can and we encourage them to reach out and stay connected with their church family contacts. As we worship together, we want you to be reminded of the special promise that Jesus left us, that he will come back again soon. And that we need to continue to focus on him, no matter what life throws at us. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me in worship today. Uh, it's good to be with you. In this time of isolation and uncertainty, I'm so thankful for the gift of technology because that enables us to stay connected with each other and to uh, continue to be part of a worshipping faith community. So I want to begin by just asking you, how are you? How are you doing? How are you surviving? Are you staying connected to the people that matter to you most? Are you looking after your physical and mental health, staying well? No, you're keeping your anxiety under control and, as I say, remaining calm. You know, God made us as social beings, wired for connection, and we need each other. We need to stay connected. We get a great sense of security from being together, and we get that from each other. And in times like these, we find that God is here with us. He is our refuge and our strength, and he gives us peace and confidence to face the uncertainties of our world. I find wonderful reassurance in God's word in Isaiah where he says, don't panic, I am with you. There is no need to fear, for I am your God. I give you strength, I'll help you, I'll hold you steady and keep a firm grip on you. What wonderful assurance to know that God is our strength, that he is with us and he has a firm grip on us as he walks with us day by day. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts to worship, to thank you for your goodness, for your grace and mercy. And we just pray that as we worship today, that you will be present with us. Bless us and guide us as we study your word together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1988, singer and songwriter Bobby McFerrin was visiting some of his friends in an apartment in San Francisco 
and he noticed hanging on the wall of the apartment a poster which immediately grabbed his attention and on the poster were the words, don't worry, be happy. Well, Bobby was charmed by the poster and inspired and had decided to write his now famous song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. The following year in 1989, the song won a Grammy Award for Song of the Year, Record of the Year and Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. And one critic who was writing about the success of the song and McFarren said that this song was a formula for facing life's trials. Don't worry about life. Choose to be happy. You know, the quest for happiness is probably the most widely shared thing in our contemporary society. Everyone wants to be happy. In fact, we figure it's our right to be happy. We deserve it. Happiness is what drives all that we do. Worry, anxiety and unhappiness, these these are the things that we try to avoid and escape from. But what do we mean when we say, I want to be happy? What What is happiness? I'd suggest that defining happiness is quite difficult, even elusive. I mean, if you ask people what happiness is, happiness is different things to different people. Happiness is a warm puppy. Hmm, not for me. Um, happiness is enjoying a cup of coffee with friends. Happiness is being in love. Happiness is recharging your mobile phone. Happiness is choosing to be positive instead of negative. But it seems to me that it's much easier to talk about what makes you happy than it is to talk about happiness itself or know what happiness is. Everyone finds happiness in their own way. To someone who's ill, happiness is being healthy. To someone who's unemployed, happiness lies in finding a job. To someone who's single, happiness may be in being a couple. To some married people, happiness may lie in being single again. So we all find happiness in our own way. It's interesting that since World War II, the quest for happiness has gradually been transformed into a command. Don't worry, be happy. The right to happiness has now become a duty an obsession almost, and as a result, it's become a burden. We probably are the first societies in history to make people unhappy about not being happy. In recent years, over 7,000 books have been published on happiness. I mean, it's like an epidemic Most of these are self-help books. 
that offer all sorts of suggestions about how to boost your happiness, how to be intentional about your happiness, how to transform your life and find real happiness, how to choose a healthy and fulfilling life of happiness. However, a recent book called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris sounds a warning. He says, is all this self-help or happiness boosting working for us? He suggests that our lives are being ruled by many unhelpful and inaccurate beliefs about happiness. This is what he says. He says, we may be better, we may have better medical treatment, better housing conditions, better sanitation, more money, more welfare services, more access to education, justice, travel, entertainment, career opportunities, but we don't seem very happy. Our pursuit of happiness, he says, ends up making us more miserable and unhappy. And with it goes increased frustration, epidemic levels of stress, anxiety, depression, addiction, and relationship problems. We've become increasingly worried about surviving and often worry about things that more often than not never happen. We feel isolated from community, afraid of being rejected, constantly comparing ourselves with others, with the rest of society, and seeking to always try and improve ourselves or put ourselves down because we're not good enough, we don't measure up. The problem, he says, is that we are so focused on maximising the things that give us pleasure and we avoid as far as possible the things that are painful, too hard and uncomfortable. And he raises this interesting question. He says, are we looking for happiness in the wrong places? which to me sounds horribly like Solomon's experience that he records in the book of Ecclesiastes where he says, you know, the pursuit of happiness only leads to more despair, discouragement and unhappiness. And then he goes on to say, pursuing wisdom and knowledge is mindless and witless, nothing but spitting in the wind. A fun-filled life of pleasure and having a good time is insane, inane. There's nothing in it. He built houses, piled up gold and silver, gathered singers to entertain him with songs, and the most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. But he said, I hated everything. Everything I'd accomplished and accumulated on the earth. The one who loves money is never satisfied. I've tested everything, I've studied, I've explored, I've sought wisdom. Wisdom about the meaning of life, but the wisdom I've looked for, I haven't found. Yet one thing I've discovered, Solomon says, it's all about me. We're the ones who've made a mess of things. 
I'm consumed with my own interests. That's the problem. And his verdict on the pursuit of happiness, Solomon says, it's an absurdity. Who needs it? So I come back to the question, what is happiness? How should we define happiness? It's interesting because for centuries, philosophers, theologians, psychologists, even economists have sought to define what happiness is. In the ancient world, they were convinced that happiness was a random thing and it always involved the notion of luck, like being born under a lucky star or being kissed by Lady Luck. In English, the word happiness comes from the Icelandic root hap, which means luck or chance. So we've kind of adopted that notion. Um, And we like to bless your lucky stars um, as a way of saying, you know, you got lucky, you were able to get a good chance and you found what you were looking for. But I think mostly we mean when we talk about happiness that we are contented with life. We're satisfied, we're fulfilled. And you know, over the past 30 years, thousands of studies on happiness have been published, especially in the United States. And the interesting thing is this, that these studies reveal three things. The first is this, that happiness is genetic. What they've said is that 50% of our happiness is influenced by our genetic disposition. In other words, your aptitude for happiness or unhappiness is influenced by, by your genes, by the chemistry of your brain. So happiness depends on your personality, whether you're optimistic and cheerful or whether you're pessimistic and sad, you know, the kind of glass half empty or glass half full sort of person. Not only your personality, but your state of health. Your genetics may give you a certain um, state of health or the harmony and balance of chemicals in your brain. These things are what influence your ability to embrace and find happiness. But let me say this, we are not totally slaves to our genetic history. We can alter our mood or actually rebalance the hormonal secretions and the neurotransmitters in our brains. We talk about rewiring the brain by engaging in such activities as going for a walk, eating out with friends, making love, meditating, laughing, playing sport, enjoying the creative arts. The second thing they discovered was that happiness is contagious. Interesting. 10% of our happiness, the research showed, is influenced by our surroundings and our external conditions. So our happiness can very much depend on the happiness of the people with whom we're connected. Our family, our social relationships, our cultural group, our marital status. The fact is, the happier we are, 
the happier we make other people around us. Once upon a time, there was an old man sitting at the gate of the city. A stranger came up and asked him, Sir, I've never been to this city. What are the people like who live here? And the old man answered with a question of his own. He said, uh, so what were the people like in the city where you've come from? Oh, he said, selfish. They were a mean bunch. In fact, that's why I left. Well, the old man said, you'll find the same kind of people here. A little bit later, another stranger arrived at the gate, came up to the old man and asked him, Sir, I've just arrived. Can you tell me what what are the people who live in this city like? And the old man replied, Tell me, my friend, what were the people like in the city that you came from? Oh, he said, they were, they were kind, they were great, they were, they were welcoming people. I, I had a lot of friends and it wasn't easy for me to leave them, to come here. Well, the old man said, you'll find the same kind of people here. There was a merchant who was watering his camels not far from the gate and he heard both of these conversations. And as soon as the second stranger had gone away, he walked over and asked the old man reproachfully, how can you possibly give the same response to two completely different answers? And the old man said, because everybody carries their world in his heart. We know for sure that happiness and unhappiness can be strongly influenced by the people we associate with. But in the final analysis, happiness is found within ourselves. It's something that we carry with us in our hearts. And the third thing that was discovered in this research was that happiness is a choice. 40% of our happiness is influenced by our personal choices and efforts. What they're saying is that we actually choose to be happy or unhappy. The choices we make are what give our lives meaning and direction and significance. Our lives are shaped by the goals and the values that we choose and pursue. Martin Seligman, one of the leading pioneers of positive psychology, that is the science of happiness, a whole new branch of psychology since the 1990s, after many studies he said that every human being can choose to say yes to more positive emotion, yes to more connection and engagement, yes to more meaning and purpose in life, and yes to more meaningful relationships. 
So, interesting to come back to Solomon's final analysis in Ecclesiastes 12, where he says, my final assessment is this, fear God and do what he tells you. So what he's saying is that the way to secure contentment and happiness is to say yes to God and choose to follow his way. You see, Solomon, I think, had come to realise that happiness is not a possession. It's a posture. When you have life in correct alignment, good posture, you found it's not something that you possess, what you buy, that you can grab for yourself. And the interesting thing to me is this, that Jesus talked a lot about happiness. But he seemed to define it a little bit differently. The happiness that Jesus advocated is not dependent on good luck, genetics, external circumstances, or a constant sense of pleasure and excitement. He said it is found only when we take an honest look at ourselves. We must first confront our self-sufficiency, our selfish attitude, our preoccupation with ourselves. Jesus said that real and lasting happiness grows out of self-awareness, out of humility, out of self-denial. Listen to what he says is recorded here in Mark chapter 8. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. But self-sacrifice is the way to saving yourself and finding your true best self. It's like when we admit our vulnerability and our brokenness, we're able to find contentment and fulfilment and happiness in Jesus and in his way of life. It's, it's like self-awareness is the gateway to our transformation. So true lasting happiness is, if you like, a byproduct. It's something that we experience as a result of doing something else. It's something that we become as a result of doing something else. Now, it's interesting to me that at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus absolutely defined the secret to happiness in his Sermon on the Mount. We say the first sermon that he preached, the Beatitudes. And listen to what he said in that sermon. You are blessed, or if you like, you are happy when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule in your life. You are happy when you are content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself the proud owner of everything happiness that can't be bought. You are happy when you get your inside world, 
your heart and your mind, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. See, and right here in these words is the key to understanding Jesus' view on how we find and experience true happiness. The word that is used, blessed, is actually a Greek word, makarios, which means happy. Jesus' use of the word makarios, or happy, expresses a much larger and fuller concept than mere happiness. The word actually implies flourishing. So what Jesus was saying, that those who are honestly and humbly accept themselves with all their vulnerabilities and brokenness are those who will truly find happiness and flourish. When you place your hope and your trust in Jesus and live out the virtues of a godly life as expressed here in the Beatitudes, you will be happy, satisfied, contented, and you will flourish. And in flourishing, you will experience a deep sense of happiness in your life. You see, flourishing literally means to live well or to have a sense of well-being. So when you are flourishing or living well, you are living a meaning a meaningful, fulfilling and purposeful life. When you function positively out of a healthy self-acceptance with hope and optimism and purpose, you're able to be resilient and cope with the trials and the challenges of life. I believe we were not meant to merely exist and survive. Jesus meant for us to thrive to prosper, to flourish. That's what constitutes true happiness. I love the story that is recorded in Mark chapter 5. tells the story of a woman who had experienced 12 years of bleeding, who came and struggled to reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus had just gotten out of a boat, having come across the Sea of Galilee. A huge crowd had gathered to welcome him, and as he stepped out of the boat, he met Jairus, leader of the synagogue. Jairus was saying, I want you to come down and heal my daughter. She's dying. And Jesus chatted with him and began to move forward, but in the crowd, there was this woman who had heard about Jesus and who came looking to change the whole sense of unwellness and unhappiness in her life and maybe meet this man who was able to change her life. And as Jesus moved off with Jairus towards his house, she became desperate that she had lost her opportunity to meet with him. So the Bible says that she reached out and through the crowd touched the hem of his garment, believing if she could just touch his garment that she'd be healed. And in that moment, Jesus stopped and he turned around and said, who who touched me? Now I can imagine the Apostle Peter or one of the disciples um, 
laughing and saying, Master, what are you talking about? I mean, this is ridiculous. Look at all the people. I mean, you ask who touched me. There are lots of people touching you. But Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. Now, the woman realised that she needed to step forward. And as she did, she, Jesus spoke with her. He had all the time in the world to share with her. She told her story, her life story. And then the Bible says that Jesus turned to her, a woman who'd clearly come unwell, unhappy. Many doctors had treated her, treated her badly, taken all her money and left her worse off than before. And now she had touched his garment and met Jesus. And he said to her, listen to what the scripture says, Jesus said to her, now that you are healed and whole, go in peace, live well, be happy. Mark 5.34. Go in peace. The word peace implies more than just peace or happiness. It has the profound meaning of completeness or wholeness. It infers flourishing or a sense of prosperity and well-being. Go in peace. Live well. Flourish. Be happy. Jesus was here inviting her to embrace peace and wholeness, to move forward in her life and to flourish, to enjoy a sense of well-being and happiness. Live well, be happy. She had come anxious, distressed, unwell, unhappy, but she left free to live a happy life, full of gratitude and love and joy and laughter and serenity. So my friends, this morning what I'm saying is this. Happiness is your choice. It's found in experiencing God's grace and claiming his promises and living totally by them. Jesus said, go in peace and by God's grace, flourish. Don't worry, be happy.